You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. I hope you find yourselves blessed this morning, and I hope that uh, we can glorify God together, even as we're not in person together. And I hope you had a good Christmas. And I hope you're looking forward to New Year's and that things have gone somewhat smoothly again. As I pointed out in these lessons, Christmas isn't about perfection. It shouldn't be, really. We are who we are, and the great news is God loves us anyway. And I hope that, yeah, it's just a good holiday season and that even though there might be some downs, I hope you have your ups too. And uh, I can say that, you know, things are okay at the Clapp household, they're good. Um, I, I always sympathize, though, with uh, the song that's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and there's a line in there of mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. And we always look forward to the breaks, we look forward to Christmas break, we look forward to Thanksgiving break, spring break, and of course summer break, because it's good to hang out with the kids and be together, but and we're a real family. It should be no shocker. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves. Sometimes we uh, like our space and like our time and maybe like things to get back to normal, but we're not always in each other's hair. Matter of fact, uh, what I wrote in the bulletin article the other week was about the fact that I just built a wall. Uh, built a wall because there was a big, large den area in our house, and uh, we kind of needed a fifth bedroom. Well, because we got lots of kids, and some of the kids don't share space all that well. So this room was big enough we could divide it. And we had a curtain for several months, but when I just got the wall pretty much done. And so Bryant, you know, has his space. And uh, the wall serves two purposes. <laughs> And this is true with all of my kids. I'm just using Bryant as an example because his wall is brand new. But you know, the, the walls in our homes, as far as from a parent's perspective, it gives my child his much needed privacy. It's his own space to do his own thing. You know, that uh, it's no fun to have people telling you what to do all the time. I mean, moms and dads tell their children what to do, but sometimes the kid needs a little retreat, a space to go to, or maybe when they're in trouble or in a bad mood and they can, you can send them to it. And so, you know, a, a room serves to benefit the child. It also benefits the parent because it gives us our space to be able to send them to their space. And so walls serve pretty good, important functions. Um, we were, Lisa and I were watching this program on homes one time, you know, and she likes fixer upper and that kind of stuff. But this was a different program, and it was about uh, the world's most interesting or amazing home, something like that. And I was amazed by, you know, these million, billion dollar homes, how many of them didn't have walls. Apparently, open spaces now is the thing, and not even like for bedrooms. And it just, Bathrooms, even. Uh, wait a second. Uh, <laughs> it's nice to have some barriers between us. 
And the biggest scandal of the Christmas story, if we call it that, of Jesus' birth. I mean, it's a big scandal for Mary to have turned up pregnant and to claim it's a virgin birth. I don't know how many people would have believed that. We obviously do, but those gathered around her, I don't know how many believed it at the time. That's a big scandal. For Jesus, the king, to be born as a peasant, that's a big scandal. We talked about last week. The biggest scandal of all, really, is that that wall of separation between God and us. God has his space, we have our space, and this nice wall here that is shown through the temple and the tabernacle, that's shown in the very laws and regulations, the purity laws that Israel had. I mean, they, they were intended to make a safe space because, I mean, living in the same house with God can get kind of dangerous because he has some high expectations. So he, he puts these barriers in place for us. But in the story of Jesus, he crossed that barrier. And the most scandalous thing of all that God in his heavenly, amazing, magisterial space would come and join us. And not just come and join us in our space, but come and actually be a human with us. I don't think we will ever realize the full scandal of that. I don't think anyone can realize it except God himself and Jesus himself, of course, who did it. Uh, That to leave perfection and to come into our messy, dirty space that we've brought to the very brink of destruction and to come and save it by giving of himself, but by doing it in the very form of a human, to share in our human experience, we could say. That's scandalous. Um, We live in a, it's hard to say largely Christian nation anymore. I mean, we aren't as Christian as we used to be, many have, have observed, but... By and large, it's still the dominant religion of the land. Um, and in a town like Winsboro, especially, we don't interact a whole lot, at least, with uh, some of the other large faiths of the world. There's not much Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam. Um, you know, there's a huge portion of the world that follows those religions, but in East Texas, most of us are in the broad umbrella of believers in the God of Christianity and of the Bible. The thing about this claim that God would become man, that's scandalous. And especially somebody from the faith of Islam. I mean, Islam holds to a belief in Abraham. They believe that they are descendants of Abraham as well. And they hold the belief that Jesus was a prophet. 
what they cannot stomach, cannot, you know, that they think is blasphemous, is that Jesus is God. That God took on human flesh. That God shared in fully in our human existence. That, that, that's impossible. That's beyond thinking. It is for them, and let me tell you, it was for the ancient world. It was for the Jewish society that Jesus was in too, and even the Roman Empire. And not that they had great gods of high morals and standards, not by any means, but the gods had their space, and we have our space, and you don't mix, because it's just not how things are designed. Jesus did mix. Jesus tore down that wall, that barrier. And he tore down from God's side, opening up a way for us now to come fully into the presence of God because in the most scandalous story of all, God became flesh. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or this translation said, the Word was fully God. The Word was with God in the beginning. All things were created by Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and the life was the light of mankind, and the light shines on the darkness, but the darkness has not mastered it, or understood it, or conquered it. Now, naturally, talking about the birth of Jesus, we've looked at Matthew and Luke, the two gospel accounts that tell us about the birth of Jesus. John and Mark jump right in with his baptism. Uh, his baptism is his anointing by God himself through the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the anointed one. That's what the word Messiah means, and that has strong implications for a king. But Matthew and Luke do tell us about his birth and the circumstances with Mary and Joseph and all that. And we kind of can combine them and get a fuller picture by looking at both of them. But not too many Christmas sermons are based out of the book of John. Um, but I want to do one. Because again, as scandalous as Mary's pregnancy was as scandalous as a, a king to usurp the powers that be like King Herod. Then hold a candle to the scandal of God becoming flesh. And that's exactly where the book of John leads us. He, that is Jesus, was in the world and the world was created by him, but the world did not recognize him. He came to what was his own but his own people did not receive him. But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. Children not born by human parents or human desire or a husband's decision, but by God. Just like Jesus was born by God's decision, not by any earthly persons. Then verse 14, now the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. Jesus fully is God. 
And the scandalous part is Jesus is also fully human. Doesn't even make sense in math. 100% God, 100% human. So it's scandalous to a math teacher, but really it's scandalous to all of our sensibilities and how we would think, because God is God, God is other, God is beyond, God is transcendent, God is ungraspable, and yet he took on humanity so that he could be more grasped, so that he could be seen and heard and followed, and so that God could share in our sufferings and lead us through them, and even conquer death, paving the way for us to follow in his footsteps. The word became flesh and took up his residence or dwelt among us. Here in verse 14, it's really interesting. John uses the word tabernacle. A tabernacle was that thing they built in the desert that was their first version of a temple that, you know, where they put the Ark of the Covenant, the holy place, the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, um, and this elaborate tent is what it was. A tabernacle is a tent. And Jews have the Feast of Tabernacles, one of their important feasts, where they live in a tent for a week, remembering their wilderness wanderings. And uh, they call it the Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Tents, Feast of Booths. All those words you know, are different English words, but they boil down to this same original word that just meant a temporary dwelling place. And that's how many translations translate it. He took up his, made his dwelling among us, took up his residence among us. But I don't think it's accidental that he uses the word tabernacle. Because in the Old Testament, per Moses' instructions, and as they wandered in the wilderness and then came into the promised land before they built the, the temple in Jerusalem, the amazing thing was, is God was with them. That whenever they would go into battle, they would bring the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant on the top, the Ark of the Covenant went in the tabernacle, but on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, on the lid, there were two cherubim, uh, angelic beings. The word means uh, a near one. You know, those that are God's... uh, Personal bodyguards, I guess, maybe is how the ancient world maybe would have thought of it. No, it, it, uh, if we think about a, a throne room, and that's again how the ancient world envisioned God, uh, a throne room, and you'd have the royal guards, the, the royal attendants, or the royal servants, and closest to him. And so you have these cherubim, the near ones, the close ones, and they have wings that are outstretched. But the space in between them is empty. It's the mercy seat. And God says, don't put anything on that space. It's my space. And unlike any other religion where they would craft an idol and set it on there, and I would say, well, that's our God. No, God said, this Ark of the Covenant is immensely important. And it is where my presence will be made known and where I will connect to you. As it's you know, carried and it's put in 
the tabernacle and the holiest place of the tabernacle. The most special holy place in the Ark of the Covenant and on that Ark of the Covenant is this empty space where God says, that's where I will meet you. Because I'm a real God. I'm not wood and I'm not stone, but I will meet you here. Do you see the connection? Jesus, the word, which is talking about Jesus, tabernacled, became flesh and tabernacled with us. God says, I'll meet you here. And it's not some structure. It's not some building. It's not some idol or anything like that. It is a person. But the word of God made flesh. The fullness of God's deity dwelling in him and yet him being fully participating in our human existence. God comes into our space and pitches his tent and says, hey, I'm not afraid of being with you. No, we have this idea, part of our sermon title, our theme for these three lessons are Christmas scandal, do not be afraid. Because he told Mary, Mary, don't be afraid. He tells the shepherds out in the field, shepherds, don't be afraid. And it's a pretty scary thought to think of God becoming flesh. And God would say, don't be afraid. I'm coming to help. I'm coming to set you free. I'm coming to redeem, restore, to give life. But the the crazy thing is, is where any other god of the ancient world would have been scared to death to give up his place, to give up his power, to give up his... No, the the gods of the ancient world are just as power-hungry as all the kings. But the one true God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Adam and Eve, the God of Noah, the God of the prophets, the God of Moses, the God who showed up in the tabernacle and the cloud and in the fire, he's not afraid to become human. Send his son, Jesus, who is fully God, but to dwell among us. That's crazy. That's scandalous. And that's precisely the God we worship. Now let's jump to the end, to Jesus' death on the cross. Matthew chapter 27. Verse 50, then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Just then, the temple curtain, temple tabernacle, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split apart and tombs were opened and the bodies of many saints who had died were raised. They came out of the tombs after his resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. 
Now when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were extremely terrified, they were afraid, and they said, truly this one was God's son, because that's a terrible thought. Oh no, he was God made flesh. And again, it's represented so beautifully and amazingly because just as God came down to this world and tabernacled among us, set up his tent, lived among us, tore down the walls between us, the final wall was abolished. The final barrier was taken care of, not in his birth, but in his death. The temple curtain was rent in two. And from top to bottom, showing that it was God who tore down that wall. I just built that wall in my house. I don't know what God's house is going to look like. I mean, in my father's house are many rooms, and I naturally think rooms have walls, but I kind of, this idea of God saying there's, no walls between us and my house. We share. And, you know, that's kind of a scary thought, I guess. And just getting knowing my family, sometimes we need our space. I don't know what that's all going to look like, but maybe it's not walls. Uh, one of my favorite, my, my favorite John Wayne movie. Well, I got two, Man Who Shot Liberty Violence, but the second one is The Quiet Man. And, uh, the Quiet Man's a romance story. Uh, I don't know if you like John Wayne or not, but uh, Maureen O'Hara, you know, is the girl. And, uh, you know, they have their fight. They get married, they have their fight. And uh, she locks the door. And that just makes John Wayne mad. So he kicks the door down, the door flies off his hinges, and he goes, there'll be no locked doors in this house between us. Only the locked doors in your cold heart. I love that line. Don't know why. <laughs> I, I grew up loving John Wayne. My dad loved John Wayne, and I don't know that that movie got lots of cool stuff in it. But I love that line. There'll be no locked doors in this house. And that's I don't know about walls in God's house, but I can say I don't think there's any locked doors because God wants to be with us. He proved that by coming here and he even more so proved it by taking on the one thing that separated us most, that is death itself. He took it on himself and then conquered it. And this beautiful image of the temple curtain being rent, being torn in two from top to bottom. God saying no more separation. I am God and you are not, you are just human, but the scandal of the entire story of the scripture of the Bible of our hope of salvation is God wants to be with us. And even though it shouldn't work, he makes it work through Jesus, through the one who became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, threw up his tent among us.